We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at a significant transition in the ministry of, of Jesus. We're about a year and a half in. We're about halfway or so to the cross at this, at this point in the, in the gospel of Mark. And it's, uh, it reminded me of, uh, of one of my favorite illustrations that, that, uh, about learning that comes from, a, comes from an old movie. And I'm, I mentioned it to you before, so you, you know that it's one of my favorite. It's, it's from an old movie called Karate Kid. Now, not the new one, but the old one. You remember the old one. Okay, I'm dating myself. What was that, like back in the 80s? I just saw the, the, they're, they're doing some remake of it, and I didn't even recognize the uh, little Daniel-san that was, that was in the movie. It's a, it's a classic movie of, 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 of underdog good versus evil with a, with a little bit of boy meets girl mixed in. And those of you who remember the movie, Daniel-san wants to learn karate. So uh, because he's getting picked on, he moves into this new, uh, this new town. He's got, his, uh, got a, a single-parent family, and, and he, he runs into this old Japanese maintenance man who, who knows karate and he wants to teach him. Or he wants them to, to, to teach him. So after some conjoling, um, the old karate master agrees to start the training. But much to Daniel's dismay, his, what he thinks his training consists of, you know, painting fences and sanding floors and waxing cars, a lot of them. And there's this key scene in the movie where just every day he comes and he submits and he's going to do what what the master is telling him to do, his teacher tells him to do, and he comes back the next day and he gets more work, and he comes back the next day and he gets more work. And so, so Daniel finally gets frustrated, and he thinks he's being duped and just being, uh, being used for free labor by Mr. Miyagi. So he confronts his instructor, and the wise teacher shows him that he's been learning all along, and he just didn't know it. Wax on, wax off. So... Paint the fence side to side. I mean, I can see the, see the picture in the movie. It's like this aha moment for, for, for Daniel. And it's a great illustration how a lot of, of what we understand is, is caught as well as taught. And in Mark 6, this passage we're going to look at today, the disciples are going to discover something very similar. For a year and a half, the disciples have been with Jesus and they've been observing And now they're going to be sent out on the first mission. It's like a short-term mission trip. It's going to be the first time that they go out away from from Jesus. And since the Lord chose the disciples, um, they've been with Him. They've shared His experiences. They've listened to what what He says. They've been watching what He does. They've been learning, and they haven't even probably realized what, what they've learned. And now they're going to be sent out to put it into practice. They're going to cast their nets. And that what Jesus said when he called them? Uh, I'm going to make you fishers of men. A number of the disciples were, were fishers. Now they're going to be able to, to have the opportunity to cast their, their nets. They're, they're transitioning from being students to being preachers, from learners to, to messengers. To be sent is exactly why Jesus called them in the first place. He called them to be sent. He, he provides a, an illustration of, of what it looks like to be fishers of men in, 
in chapter 2, when, when Jesus catches uh, Matthew or Levi, the twelve then later in chapter 3 receive a specific promise of what they're going to do in the future. And right now they're, they're going to be, to be launched out. It's a significant moment for the disciples. It's a significant turning point in the ministry of Jesus. And it's also very significant for the church because it teaches us, begins to show us a, a, a view of ministry. What is the, what's the ministry of Jesus going to look like after he goes to the cross, is buried, raises from the dead and ascends into heaven? What, what will this ministry look like that he's going to hand off to, to this motley crew of, of 11 Men and with with a with the twelfth one being added after Judas commits commits suicide, it's a it, you might think of this passage like a pencil sketch of the of, of what the Great Commission gospel ministry looks like that that's going to be painted in full color in the New Testament. I mean, this is like if you use our original example of uh, Mr. Miyagi, this is like wax on, wax off, and the and the karate tournament is the Book of Acts. You can see it. I mean, it's. It's just, there's echoes here. In this passage, the Lord sends the twelve out and on their first preaching mission, and He provides some foundational principles for how ministry is, is done, His ministry. Jesus gives a method for sending. He gives a model for going, and He gives a ministry, a specific ministry to accomplish. You can see what, what our ministry task is here. We, you can see the method that, that He puts people in ministry. They're, they're sent, and you can see a model for, for, for going. Their, their model is, is to go under authority, and the ministry is proclaiming His Word, and it's confirmed by His works, and, and the method is, is ministers are sent. And it's a guide for the church today. Now, obviously, there's some unique things here. The apostles had some abilities that, that you and I don't, don't have. We, we don't have the ability today to perform sign gifts, and we're never commanded in the New Testament to cast out demons. Those were specific things to authenticate the message of the, of the, of the apostles. We don't need that today because we have the Bible and, and transformed lives. But the general outline of how ministry is done, you can, you can see. And um, we'll... I think probably the best way to, to understand it or to see it in the text is, is, is to just craft an outline around the, the, the commands that, that, that he gives. He, he sent them, in verse 7, to preach his word and, and do his works. He charged them to depend on God and deepen their faith, in verses 8 and 9. He said to them to, to commune with believers, stay in the homes that receive the word, and then to testify or to confirm to the unbelievers of, of the judgment that's coming. Shake the dust off your feet. And then the whole scene ends with, so they went. And it, it shows that they went in obedience, and then it also declares the works that, that were done by, by these disciples on this short-term trip. And, and then in the end... They come back to Jesus and report. This is another one of those uh, uh, stories within a story. I mean, if, you, if you've read this passage ahead of time, knowing where we're going, you're going to see that, that the, the scene starts with the disciples. The twelve are sent out. All of this happens that's up on the screen, this, this outline that gives us these four foundational principles of, of ministry. Then the, another story is inserted, John the Baptist. He, he dies. It's, it's kind of like how we started with, with Jairus. 
and then the, the woman with the issue of blood, and then it comes back to Jairus' raising of his daughter. It starts with the disciples, then you have John the Baptist, and then it comes back to the disciples when they return and share the results of, of what, what took place. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, fascinating passage. So, without further ado, let, let's, look at, let's look at verse 7, and we'll see this, this first foundational principle for gospel gospel ministry now you may be sitting there saying well well i'm not in ministry in in the in a vocational sense i I don't plan on being a pastor i don't plan on being a being a missionary so so does this apply to me it absolutely applies to you in, in two ways number one Everyone in here has a responsibility to to share the, the message of Jesus, and everyone in here is part of gospel ministry. It's, it's not just for the, for those who are sent; it's for those who send and those who receive that that equipping. And the Lord would want us to see this model and make sure that that we put it into put it into to practice. So, so first of all, you see in verse seven, He sent them. To preach his word and, and do his works. Look at verse, look at verse six, because this is where the passage really begins. There's a transition here that I don't want you to miss. The end of verse six, after they, uh, Jesus wonders at their unbelief in Nazareth, look at how verse six ends. And he was going around the villages teaching. And verse seven, and he summoned the twelve and began to, to send them out. Verse six, he was going around the villages teaching. And Jesus has just been rejected in Nazareth, and he took the disciples there. We saw last time so that they would have this learning experience of rejection that they're going to experience in, in, in just a few moments. And notice in verse 6, it says, He, that's Christ, He was going around to the villages. I mean, up to this point, Jesus was the only preacher. The disciples didn't preach. Jesus was, was, was following the ministry that was that began by John the Baptist. John the Baptist proclaimed, uh, "Repent! The kingdom of heaven is at hand." John decreases; Christ increases after the baptism, and Jesus is the primary preacher. And that's what you see. He was going around the villages teaching. He proclaimed the gospel of the of the kingdom, and the disciples watched and listened and learned. And then in verse seven, he summoned the twelve and began to to send them out. Now, there's going to be more than, than one preacher. There's going to be 12 of them in particular. Now, I, I want you to recognize here that it's, there's 12 that are sent. And, and in that 12, there's Judas. Judas is sent out in this, in this group. And we can read later and see what happens to, to Judas. But all 12, he calls them and he begins to, to send them out. And to be sent out, there's... They're, they're authorized by, by His authority. That's what it means. They're His representatives. And this is not something new to Jesus. This was affirmed in the law. For, for, for somebody to be commissioned as a delegate. It was, a, it was an official practice that was, that was acknowledged. You remember the, the individuals that came up from Jerusalem to evaluate Jesus' ministry and they come to the conclusion that He's of the devil? They were delegates sent up from Jerusalem. And now Jesus is going to send out 12 delegates. They're going out under his authority. He sends them, he sends them out. They're, they're sent ones. That's what an apostle means. They go on behalf of the, of the one sent. Look at verse 30 of Mark chapter 6. I want you to notice something here. 
We'll pick this up whenever we get there. What does verse 30 call the the 12? The apostles gathered together. This is the first time they're called apostles. Prior to that, they're disciples or the 12. So the 12, in verse 7, he summons the 12 and begins to, to send them out in pairs. And from this point forward, beginning in verse 30, they're called the sent ones. They're the, they're the apostles. Jesus commissions them as delegates. And he sends them out on a, on a mission. They're his appointed representatives in a legal sense. He sends them and they return to Jesus and report concerning all that, that had been done in fulfillment of his commission. Do you know that that's exactly what's going to happen to you one day? Do you know that's, this is the model of the Bema seat. You have been sent out. The church has, has been commanded to go out into the world and we are delegates of Christ. We're ambassadors. And we go out and share his message. And we do His works. And we are going to be called back before the Lord and give an account one day. And that account's going to happen at the Bema seat. And we're going to tell the Lord everything that was accomplished. And, of course, the Lord already knows. And we're going to receive a reward or we're going to suffer loss based on, based on that. These are, are sent out. All of that would be normal. Delegates would be sent out under authority. Delegates would go out with that authority. Delegates would come back to the one who sent them and, and would, would report. Now, now, why is all of that important to, to believers? Because I want you to notice that they're not sent by their own authority. They don't go on their own autonomy. And they don't speak their own originality. They, they share the message of Christ. They go under His authority. And He's the one that commissions them. They're delegates. They only speak His words, which are confirmed by, by His works. And Jesus begins to provide here, like I said, a, a sketch of a method for, for sending and a model for going. And then the ministry that, that He asks us to to accomplish. Ministers are sent, they go under authority, and their ministry is proclaiming the word which is confirmed by the by the works by their works. And that's not what you always see in in our culture in the in the church to, today. In our culture, everyone has a responsibility. In the Bible, everyone has a responsibility to go and share the the, the word of Jesus. We're all witnesses of what He's done for us and witnesses of the, of the gospel. But being specifically sent in missions or being specifically sent in, in ministry follows the model that you see here that begins here, continues through the Great Commission, and then you see it all the way through the, through the book of Acts. Ministry in, in our world in a lot of ways is very individualistic whether that's missionaries or pastors, people will confirm themselves, they'll send themselves, they'll come up with their own ministries. And there's, there's not a hot, lot of a pattern of submitting to authority. There's not a lot of oversight. There's no elders guiding. There's no congregations seeing the marks of qualifications in the lives of the individuals. It's all very individualistic. It's, it's, it's me and God. And there is a me and God. There's a you and Christ. There's a personal relationship and there's an individual spiritual gifting, but that individual spiritual gifting is married to the church and the methods that, that Jesus has, has provided. And sadly, the, the individualistic idea 
carries over in the pastorate in the mission fields in 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 a lot of different a lot of different ways. Sadly, I think it's how many people either get to the mission field or get into the pulpit pastoral ministry that 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 shouldn't be there in the in in the first place. Pastors who 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 send themselves or launch themselves who start in ministry begin to operate as as islands and and missionaries see churches as a means to an end. And and, and you can talk a lot about how that how that began where the church went AWOL in, in training and in sending. But Jesus begins here with a very different model. The model and the mission is in a nutshell what you see in, in verse seven through through thirteen. I want you to notice that he sends them out in pairs, verse seven. He summoned the twelve and he began to send them out. There's the there's the authority. There's the there's the model. We'll see what the ministry is in just a in just a few moments. But he sends them out in in pairs. The commissioning, being a delegate, being sent out would have been normal. It wasn't original to Jesus, and sending them out in pairs was also something that that was not original to, to Jesus. This is also in the Old Testament. Out of the mouth of how many witnesses? Is something confirmed too? That's where it comes from. This is—you probably remember this. I mean, I remember when we used to go uh, do door-to-door evangelism. You would, we would, we would go out two by two. Two people would would go out, and that's a that's a really great model. I mean, you see in the Bible, you're you're not alone. And this is a this is for corroboration. The purpose of going in pairs, that Jesus sends them in prayers, is, is a mosaic principle that says out of the mouth of two witnesses something is established. So two going, both are confirming that what the one, whoever is sharing the message, it, it's true. It, it's both of us. There's a weight that's there. This is not just some individual guy going out sharing a message. You've got somebody with him. And he's coming, he's going under authority. And as they proclaimed the, the message of repentance, both of those individuals stood as a witness that what they spoke was, was, was true. Look at what else it says. So there's, a, there's an authority. There's a, there's a, a confirmation that comes with, with more than, than one person. And then there's, there's authority. There's, it's confirmed with, with power. The end of verse 7. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them authority. It's, it wasn't theirs. They didn't have it themselves. I, I mean, we're a mature congregation, and I understand you know this, but I mean, you know how, how ridiculous it is to watch these guys on TV command the devil to do things, running around commanding de- diseases to do this or that as if they have authority. I mean, they say it's Jesus' authority, but they're acting as if they have authority. Jesus gave this, these, these twelve authority. It wasn't their authority. They had no message. They had no power. They had no authority. It was all attached to to Christ. It was, it was his own. It was his own message. It was his own ministry. It was his own power. It was his own authority. And he attaches that. He attaches that to the, to the delegates. One of the great laments that, that I have as, as a preacher is whenever, when the message gets muffled because of the messenger. You understand what I'm saying by that? I mean, you, I, there is no one 
that is more exposed than the man who stands behind the pulpit. You hear me speak on a regular basis. You watch my life. You watch my family. And you see all of the lumps and the bumps and the warts and everything. We are broken people, just like you're broken people. And sometimes people gag on the messenger and miss the the message. I understand and you understand. There's no power, authority, or ability in me. If it was up to me, I I wouldn't have called me to stand back here. I, I can promise you that. But whenever I speak the words of Christ, there's power, not in me, but in His words. When you witness to someone, it's not you. I mean, you go, how could I share the gospel with anybody? Look at me. Look at how messed up I am. It's because the power is not in, in you. It's in the words of Jesus. And whenever you unleash the words of Christ, God does stuff in people's lives. And these apostles, these twelve that, that will be called the apostles have delegated authority. They don't have a message, but they can share the message of Christ. You don't have anything. I don't have anything to tell anybody, but I can tell them about Jesus because he has a message. He can change them. I have no power, but Jesus has power. I have no authority, but Jesus has a has authority. And that's exactly what he does. He attaches his authority. And that authority is over unclean spirits. Now, later he's going to talk about him healing people. So why does, he, why does he point out here it was authority over unclean spirits? Well, I think it's because the, 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 the ultimate um, uh, picture or portrait of the battle that's going on has to do with, with the kingdom of Satan and the, and the kingdom of God. I mean, Satan has people bound. Sin has, has power and, and the whole world lies into the hands of, of, the, of the wicked one. And when Jesus walks into the synagogue, the demons acknowledge his authority. So I think that's why it's pointed out here rather than, than just healing or, or disease. Salvation is being delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of his dear son. So they go out. They have this authority. What, what did they do? Drop down to verse, verse 12 because it, it actually shows us what they did whenever they, whenever they went out. He sends them out as as delegates. They're under his authority. He gave them his authority, that power. They have power over the the works of darkness. It's Christ's power. And, And how do they take that power? What do they do? Look at verse 12. They went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and anointing with oil many sick people and in healing. Verse 12 tells you. The mission. There's the mission. They preached that people would repent. That's the same mission that the church has today. Whatever you do, all the good works that you do, and you're commanded to do good works, especially to the brethren. Do good to to all men, especially the brethren. You're commanded to do good works, but all of those good works won't mean a hill of beans unless the message of repentance is proclaimed. I mean, that's the purpose for the good work. That's their mission. They preach that men should repent. What did they do? What is the main ministry of Jesus? What is gospel ministry today? It's words. It's words. And those words are confirmed by the works, but it starts with the words. Have you seen those t-shirts that came from a Catholic saint, preach the gospel and use words if necessary? That's a ridiculous statement. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. That's what preaching is. Preach the gospel. 
share the words. Now let your life back it up, which is what I think that, that the, the, the statement's trying to, trying to mean. They, they just should put it a different way. Your works have to back up your words, but gospel ministry is, is words. That's the main thing. What did they preach? The exact same thing that they heard Jesus preach. I mean, they preached the message of repentance. What did John the Baptist start with? Repent the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does Jesus do back in, in Mark chapter 1? He goes around to the villages preaching repentance and the gospel of the kingdom. What are the disciples sent out to preach? What do I preach? What do you share? It's the exact same thing that they heard Jesus preach. And what followed their preaching? Confirming works. That's what verse 13 says. Look at verse 13. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Now, I mentioned to begin with that the flowers were for Brother, Brother Richard Jett for his first birthday. And I want to I tell you that that I don't know of anyone that practiced this better than Brother Richard. I don't know if you know this. I do, because he would, almost every Sunday, after every Sunday during the week, he would come back and tell me, Richard would take notes from the sermons that were preached in your Sunday school class, and in particular from the pulpit, and he would write down the outline. And then he would take that very outline, and he would go preach it in the nursing homes, and he would preach it to the shut-ins. He would take the message that he heard from Mark 7, he would write that outline down, and then during the week he would go share that with with other uh, people. A number of the funeral sermons he preached were were that way. I mean, he he got exactly what the disciples did. They they listened to Jesus share the the Sermon on the Mount, and they went and told it to others. They, They listened to him share in the synagogues. They listened to him read the great Isaiah scroll, uh, Isaiah 61, and then they went and shared the same thing. And we know from all four Gospels that Jesus shares the same stories, the same parables in different settings. He calls people to the same kingdom, and he has the same message of, of salvation. I mean, you understand that's all preaching is. I share the message that God has already shared. You share the message that God has already has already shared. I mean, the work, the hard work in preaching is making sure that, that what you share is the message that God has already shared because of context and time and language and, and all of that. But, but the disciples were, were not sent out to be original, unique, or innovative. They were sent out to share the message that they heard Jesus preach for, for, for a year and a half. In fact, I would say, when you are original or unique or, or innovative in, in, in preaching, it gets harder and harder to be a faithful messenger. Because you're, you share his message that he delivered to, to begin with. I mean, think about this. Do you think that the twelve disciples ever went out? Did you think it ever crossed their mind on this time or when the seventy went out or after the Great Commission and after the book of Acts? Do you think it ever crossed the disciples' mind to, to innovate the message of Jesus? I mean, do you, do you think it ever crossed their mind to, to evaluate what, what they were to share based upon the results uh, of the people that were there? I mean, and, and decided to change it up? I mean, can, can you imagine the disciples, one says to one another, you know, I was thinking, I mean, the way Jesus shared that back in Nazareth, 
I mean, there wasn't really good results. Maybe we ought to spice this up a little bit. Maybe that's why he got rejected. I mean, you say that's ridiculous. It's no different when a messenger of God doesn't doesn't share the message of of Christ. And whenever you do, you share the message of Christ, and you share it as He's presented it in the Bible. God does what He does, and He unleashes His power. And that's what you see in verse, the end of verse 7, the authority of, of unclean spirits, and then at the end of, in verse 13, Jesus gave His power that was connected to His authority. And that supernatural power was to authenticate the message and to demonstrate the compassion of, of God. And that message would be proclaimed in word and deed, in, in words and works. And then they report that back to the, to the Master. And that's the, that's the mission. The words are our mission. And the works follow the words. And then that confirmation is sent back to, to Jesus. And you don't want to turn that around. Muslims do good works, but the words of Christ transform and create new life in, in souls. Well, let's look at the, the second. He charges them to depend on God and, and deepen their faith. As they go, he sends them out in a specific way. Now, he'll change this up later. We don't have time to go in, but right now, the first time that he sends them out, he wants to teach them a lesson. Look at verse, verse 8. He sends them out with his plans. These are obviously much different plans than the disciples would have had on their own. They, they wouldn't have decided to go in this way. He instructed them in verse 8 that they should take nothing for their journey. You think that was the disciples' plans? Hey, I'm just going to go out and take nothing with me. It's not the disciples' plans. It's Jesus' plans. He instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a, a mere staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belt. But to wear sandals. And he added, do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you, you, you leave that, that town. He sends them with his plans. Surely wouldn't have been the disciples' plans. And his plans is no provisions. No provision. And I think this verse is beautiful because it, Jesus never wastes a moment. Never wastes a moment to build our faith and teaches us a le- to teach us a lesson. And he commissions them and he confirms them and he sends them out and he sends them out in total dependence on God. I mean, the commission he gave demanded that they commit to total dependence on God. And he sets them up for total dependence. Take nothing with you. You, you. you can take your shoes and a staff. No bread, no bag, no coin, no coat. The, the two tunics, one would have been your normal covering and the other would have been like a, like a shawl or something that you put over that you wrap around you to sleep with at night, like a blanket when it got cold. And, and he says, don't even, don't even take that. The, the staff and the sandals were the minimum requirements for the journey. Nothing else. And they've heard Jesus say, if God clothed the lily of the field, He'll clothe you, hasn't He? 
And that's what they're getting ready to share with, with everybody. They heard him say, if God will feed the birds of the air, he'll feed you. That, that's what they're getting ready to share with, with others, right? God will take care of you. And Jesus is setting them up to be an illustration. Be anxious for nothing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will, will, will be added. And, and his plan is to, is to depend on God to, to deepen their faith. And now they're going to live that out. And now they're going to learn it experientially. You know, there's, there's, there's two ways of learning stuff. There's information, and then there's experience. Now, don't always think that experience is better. Adam and Eve learned by information, and I can promise you they wish they hadn't learned by experience, right? You're smart if you take information that God gives. But sometimes you have to learn by experience, and... They heard the information from Jesus, and now it's going to be confirmed by experience. And many things in our Christian lives, we, we get the opportunity to put into practice. But look at how God provides for them. He calls them to be totally dependent. But look at how He, how he provides for them. Manna doesn't fall from heaven. Jesus doesn't zap a coin in their, in their, in their pockets or in their one tunic. You don't find it in the bottom of their shoe. Look at how he provides for them. In verse 10, he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you you leave the town. You don't need bread or bag or money or an extra cloak to keep you warm in the middle of the fields at night because you're going to depend upon me and I'm going to provide for you in homes of people that receive my word. God provides, but he uses means, right? My favorite illustration of that is Adrian Rogers. You, you, you want a you want a job? Pray for one, and then get the one ads out. You want a wife? Pray for one, and then take a shower and put on some cologne. God provides, but He uses means. The means would be the people that receive the message. You see that? And He said to them in verse ten: Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the town. And a place that does not receive you or listen to you, you go out of there and shake the dust. There are going to be two different responses to the message. Some are going to receive. The ones that receive will be the means to provide for you on the ministry, in the ministry, on the mission, with my authority that I'm sent. Those houses that they would enter, that would be the people that received the message of Jesus that the disciples preached. That's who would provide for for the twelve. That would be God's means. And you see the same thing throughout the New Testament. I mean, remember, this is an echo. This is the beginning. Jesus doesn't change the, the basic principles of this us. Up, he runs it through. The twelve, and then the seventy, and then the Great Commission, and then you see it in the book of Acts, and you still see it happening today. You see the same thing throughout the New Testament. Those who receive the word are to share with those who teach it. Now, that doesn't mean that you slip me a 20 after I preach a good sermon or don't slip me one after I I, I lay an egg, which happens on a regular basis. Don't laugh at that. Those who receive the word share with those who teach it. Those who preach the gospel are to live by the gospel. Muzzle not the ox as he treads out the coin. I mean, uh, corn, all of those are, are principles throughout the New Testament. That's why God's method... To provide 
That's God's method to provide His means. And why does He do that? Well, it's, it's in the title of uh, number two, to, to depend on God and, and deepen their faith. That's why He sends them out to do this. Because it builds the faith of both the messenger and also the people of the homes that provide for them. I mean, do you think depending on God to, to provide uh, um, stretch the disciples' faith? I mean, I can, I've, I've been there. I can watch them. Um, I, don't take bag or coin or, or bread. Are you sure about that, Lord? You better believe it stretched their, their faith. Do you think that the homes that provided for them that had to share with the twelve, that that built their faith as well? Because they provided? You better believe it did. And every time you, you receive, it's from the Lord. And every time you give, it's for the Lord. And, and every time that you do that, you're, you're killing pride, you're building faith, you're reminding yourself, I don't own anything, it's all the Lord's. The Lord can provide if you're the one receiving. And it's the Lord, so I give if you're the one that, that is giving. And every time you do that, you're partnering with, with the work that, that He is he's doing. You're building your faith and you're participating in the work. And it's the same pattern in the New Testament. Did, did you ever wonder why Jesus sent them out and said only a staff and only, a sa- only sandals? Why he highlighted that? Can you think of another time in the Old Testament where this took, takes place, where a people depend upon God? Listen to Exodus twelve eleven: Sandals and the staff with your loins girded. That's how the Israelites were to take into the Exodus. With your sandals and staff and your loins girded, you take off. And God provided. And He provided to begin with from the Egyptians, didn't He? And then He provided with manna and some other things out in the middle. Well, why did He do it that way? Because they began to grumble and they began to complain. Israel would be nourished by the provision of God, so the disciples are sustained by God's provision. Do you think that Exodus, the Exodus popped into their minds when Jesus said, sandals and tunic, and you're going to be sent out with your loins girded? Should have. They're good Jews. And Jesus is better than Moses, isn't he? He went into the wilderness to begin his ministry, and he succeeded in resisting temptation, unlike Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses, and now like the Israelites and the disciples that have followed Jesus, will be sustained by God as they go out. And as you go out, God will sustain you and God will use means. And you may be the very means to sustain someone else that's sent out. Well, look at number three. These four principles. He said to them, commune with believers and confirm to unbelievers. In verse 10, He said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. One side of the coin, other side. In any place that does not receive you or listen to you. That's the reception or lack of reception. They're going to reject the message of Jesus, which is the message that the disciples are sharing. As you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Share where the word is welcome and signify where the word is rejected. 
That's what verse 10 and 11 say. When you enter a house, stay there until you depart the, the village. The disciples were instructed to accept the hospitality which was, which was offered. And sometimes that can be just as hard as offering the hospitality. Because we like to be self-sufficient, don't we? I mean, we preach it. Don't you dare take a hand out. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. The Bible says don't be lazy. You're supposed to work. But there's something in us that doesn't like a handout. Can I tell you that will send you to hell? Because you need God's handout with grace. You can't get to heaven apart from a handout from God. And disciples were instructed to accept the hospitality which was offered and remain there. I think that's interesting. They're to remain there. Don't go into town. Whoever receives you, stay in that home. If the rich guy down the road who's got a bigger home says, hey, come and stay with me, don't move down there. (laughs) Stay in that house. And as they're going into the surrounding towns and preach the message of repentance, as they did, someone receive it. Those who receive the message receive the master. And those that receive the master are happy to care for the master's servants. Isn't that natural for you? How do you treat the children of somebody that you think very highly of? I don't know who that could be. I mean, think of somebody that's, that's famous. Think of somebody that's a, a favored relative. How do you treat the children of those individuals whenever they, whenever they come to, to, to their home, to your home? I mean, you, you happily care for them. I mean, you do that gladly. It's like, it's like by association. I'll bless you because I, I really, really like your, your father or, or whoever it is. You wouldn't put them in the garage or in the broom closet. I mean, you give them your own bed if someone was high enough in, in your eyes. Why? Because your care for them shows the respect for the person that they represent. And it's the same for, for God's servants. Those of us who receive the Word know how precious it is and know how precious He is, and we gladly treat the ones who bring that message to us with, with honor. Third John talks about sending itinerant missionaries in, on their way in a manner worthy of, of God. Is that how you think about the the servants of the Lord, those who have been sent out by, by God, a, a, your pastors, missionaries, who, whoever it is, that the servants of Jesus that you want to honor because you want to honor the, the Master. Not this church, but I've seen churches that, that treat them more as their servants rather than servants of Christ. Have you seen that? Bite and devour them with criticisms. You know, there's a parable that Jesus, if I had an opportunity to preach to a church like that, and and again, you're not one of them, thankfully. But I'd preach the parable that Jesus preaches to the Jews about how the master sends his servants to them and how they beat the servants and kill the servants and they finally send the son and he does the same thing to, they do the same thing to, to the son. There's coming a day when the master will come and say, how did you treat my servants that I sent to you to share my message with with you? 
that's for those who receive the word. You, you treat them with, with honor and you care for them. But there's also some that won't be received. There are homes that won't receive them. Look at verse 11. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you, you go out from there and you shake the dust off your feet. There's going to be towns like Nazareth. And the fact that disciples are going to experience rejection is made plain. And when they did, they were supposed to do something very ominous. They were to signify something. They are to shake the dust off their feet as a testimony against them. This was also something from the Old Testament. None of this is new. This is all, Jesus is a Jew. It's all Old Testament. Sending out the delegates, sending them out by two with confirming witnesses, receiving the hospitality and the care of the, of the brethren, and then signifying the judgment and the rejection of those who reject the words of Jesus. Israel, the custom was established by the Jews. If you traveled outside of the land, outside of Israel, when you came back to the land, before you entered, you carefully removed the, all of your clothing and all of the dust of the alien land from where you traveled. You, you didn't want to bring any of that back in. This is God's land. This is the kingdom. This is precious. And so by the disciples being commanded to do this by Jesus... They're disassociating themselves from the pollutions of, of those towns, the ultimate judgment. The disciples were to freely offer the Word of God and fellowship with those who received it. But if it was rejected, they were to testify to those people and to that town that they're outside of the kingdom. It, was, it declared that that village or home was like a pagan place. Not God's people, not God's land. They're under the judgment that's coming. It provided a, a warning. The disciples were preaching that message of repentance and they provided that warning. And it also showed that they fulfilled their responsibility as they did this. I mean, the people are watching them shake the dust off their feet. It was a reminder, you have rejected the message of God. You are outside the land. You're outside the kingdom. Judgment is coming and your blood is not on our hands what they're doing is a sign. You have no part of God. You're outside of the kingdom of heaven because you're outside of the kingdom on earth because you reject the message of the king. And look at how this all wraps up. So they went. They went out. In verse 12, they went out in obedience and with results. The whole scene ends, comes to a close with, close with these simple words. I mean, here's the action part. They heard, they got the commission, they received the command, they were told how to do it, and now they did it. So they went. In verse 13, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. Here's your many from the last week of the few. The disciples obeyed. 
They shared the message and the manner of Christ. They preached the word. They did his works. They commanded everyone should repent and receive the grace that God offered. And when they did, that, that seed fell on good soil and it bore fruit. And that's the promise, isn't it, folks? If you do God's work, God's way, God will accomplish his results. And that's exactly what you see. Many, many, many. And not all will respond. Some will remain enemies of the cross. And you have just as much responsibility to testify to them that they're outside of the kingdom. This is the only message of salvation. But God has many, many, many He saves and heals and delivers. And that's the story of Jesus and the sending of His disciples. And this is the beginning of a drawing that's going to be fleshed out. But we're on the other side of the drawing, right? I mean, the drawing has become not just a sketch, it's been filled in, and now it's a painting, and, and it's a portrait. I mean, you look at the book of Acts, and this is happening. It's beautiful. The church is being built. Foundations laid by the apostles and the prophets. It's being built on by, by, the, by the evangelists and the pastors and, and teachers, and, and the church is being built up, and, and you, you can see it. But, it. but it's not just a, a picture to hang on the wall and admire Oh, yeah, I remember back in Mark where, where Jesus started sketching that out. I've seen the book of Acts. Boy, isn't it in living color. That's wonderful. Let's sit there and admire it hanging. There's the method. And now it's hanging on the wall. Jesus completes the work. He makes it all possible. And then he commissions his followers to share that message. That 12 become several hundred. And that several hundred become several thousand Several thousand starts with the Jews and the Gentiles and the uttermost parts of the earth, and you're part of that work that that begins right here. And he sends us. And he charges us dependence and faith, and he instructs us with his authority. Those things are clear, that's settled. But this last point, so they went, is is not settled. All of that, how to do it, and the model is settled. It's clear. It's right there. And it's clear that the disciples went. So they went in obedience and with results. And, and the sending and the charging and the instruction and all of that is clear for us. We don't have the right or, or the ability to change that. But those things are clear and settled. But this last part is, is open for us. That's where your will comes in, your choice, your volition. And on that day when I stand before the beam of seat, when you stand before the beam of seat, and you come back to the Master and give a report, will He say about you, will He write down, and so they went? And so the members of Timberlake Baptist Church went? And so Brian Farrell went? And so fill in your name, they went? Will that be the record and testimony in heaven? The model's clear. You go under His authority to share His Word, which is confirmed by His work. People will be saved. Things will happen. You're dependent upon His provision in fellowship with His people, warning the world's rejectors. And when you do that, God's work 
is done. So they went, is what I want to hear. Now, what you want to hear? But that's the question, isn't it? Everything else is complete. Everything else is provided except us choosing to go. Don't you bow your heads. Many dangers, toils and snares have already come. Grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. You may be here this morning feeling beat up. And you've been obedient to this commission. You've been going. And you're sitting there going, man, I'm going, Pastor. I'm trying to do it this way. But I'm getting beat up at every turn. And sometimes it's not the ones that I should shake the dust off. Sometimes it's, it's the very people of God. And they're not treating me the way that, that you just told me that they're supposed to. And I'm feeling pretty empty. I'm feeling pretty low. I'm feeling pretty alone. Draw near to Christ. Look to Him. Don't judge the Savior by the saved. We are, we are frail and broken people. We hurt one another. We shouldn't. It's wrong. But we do. But Jesus knows exactly how that feels on the very night that made all this possible. The same twelve that had listened to Him and walked with Him in twelve years that left Him. One Peter even denied him three times, even cursed his name. I know not that man, and said it with cursing. And you know what Jesus did? He sought him out and asked him three times for the three denials, do you love me, and then said, feed my sheep. Put him right back in ministry. If you feel beat up, draw near to the Lord. He knows, he understands. And if you're sitting here and you, you're not going, and what I mean by going is not being a, a, a pastor or a missionary, per, per se, but, but going out into the world this week. Or obeying this command to send, care for those that are called by God to go. Then you need to repent. And you need to say, Lord, I, I need to change. Will you help me change? I want you to say, so they went. And maybe you are here this morning. And you're wrestling with whether you're going to give up worldly cares and worldly goods and the privileges that you might have to follow God in missions or in ministry. Listen, whatever God calls you to do, He'll provide you to do. But He's not going to force you into that work. Look to the Lord. He'll provide and He'll open the door. But He'll do that through His means. He'll do that through His church. He'll do that through the authority. He'll do that through the elders. He'll do that through the confirming of the congregation. You don't send yourself. You have no authority. God's delegated that. Come humbly that way, and you watch how God will bless you and put you exactly where He wants you to be and provide for you. 